0: That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So I always love to thank my audience. And today I'm gonna give a shout out to one of my latest reviews on Apple, Starbucks Lover55502. I also love Starbucks Um, and I also love your name, but you really, really must love Starbucks if that's your name. She wrote, As a trauma survivor myself, it's nice to know that you can listen to a podcaster who is so down to earth and who you can relate to on your own level to hear not only her story, but other stories and know you are not alone in this world. I would recommend this podcast to anyone. Well, thank you so much. I truly appreciate that review. And if you all are so inclined and would like to leave me a review, you can hop on over to Apple. It's super easy. So, thank you, audience. Thank you, listeners. I love you. You mean the world to me. Let's start the show. Well, hello, everyone. Um, I need to tell you about my experience over the weekend driving to Palm Springs. Uh, I am the worst driver. Anybody that knows me, any of my friends make fun of me because I'm always the slow driver in the fast lane. And they're like, get out of the fast lane. What are you doing? I also don't understand how to follow directions, even with navigation. I kind of space out a lot of times and I'll be like, oh no, I forgot my exit. And then I'll be like yelling at- all the cars to get over and honking. I just don't know how to drive. I'm a horrible driver. The very beginning of this podcast, you know, I talk a lot about running over cones and carpal. It's just a known thing that I am not a good driver. And you know, when you get old and people go, Oh, it's time to take your license away because you can't really see well anymore. I have a feeling that like, that's going to happen to me in 10 years. <laughs> I'm such a, I'm a horrible driver. Um, I hope the DMV is not listening to this because I really need to be able to drive. But thankfully, I live in such a small area that I'm just really driving my kids to and from activities and school. So we're good. I'm barely on the freeway anymore. So I'm going to start the show. talk a lot about how much therapy saved my life and how lucky I am to have my amazing therapist, Dr. Nay. But not everybody can get an appointment with Dr. Nay. And I really wanted to break the stigma on getting help or asking for help. So that is why I partnered with a company called online-therapy.com. They have plans that start around $30 a week, And you can get weekly therapy sessions for less than $50 a week. You can also get my 20% off code by going to my website, judgingmegan.com, and you go to the therapy tab. And if you click on the link at the bottom, you can get 20% off your first month. Okay, everyone. I have the most amazing guest today. Her name is Jennifer Karras. She is a friend of mine I've known for several years. I feel like longer than, like, it seems because life goes so fast. She also, like, funny story about Jen is... She has the best hair I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) And one day I was like getting coffee in the morning. I always look like poo. Like I'm in a sweatsuit and like, you know, like no makeup, like just getting coffee in the morning. And there's Jen, like with her glowing, like smile and her like beautiful, like flowing hair with her husband. They're so cute. They always get coffee in the morning and I see her and I'm like, hey, Jen. And then I tell her husband, I'm like, Your wife has the most beautiful hair. And I swear to God, I think he was like, who is this weirdo? So I I also t- told Jen that if you've ever seen the movie Bridesmaids, which by the way, is like my favorite movie. I watch it like every time I'm depressed, like every time it's on TV, I I wa- will sit down and watch Bridesmaids. And Jen reminds me of, the, you know, the scene with Rose Byrne where she like turns around and she's like in this like flowing dress and she, and Kristen Wiig is like, Oh, Hey, you're so pretty. Like that's, that's how I feel when I see Jen. Oh my God. So hi, Jen.
1: Hi. How are you? Thank you for coming oh on. Thank you so much for having me. My husband's used to all the hair compliments, by the he way. Is. He always like rolls his eyes. I'm like, he's like, I get it. She has great hair. No, you have <laughs> such good hair. Like people must
0: be like, Huh, do you want to be a hair model in a commercial? Like you have really good hair. Well, and truth
1: be told, I just totally chopped it yesterday. You so
0: did. well, you, yes. you still have good hair. And, and the other thing about, about you is that you're, you're kind. And I, that's mm. what I love about you. You're somebody that's you, like, when I first met you, I was like, there's no way this girl can be this nice. And you really are a very kind, nice person. That's like kind of always smiling, always nice to everybody. And that's, that's a rare and great quality in this world. And we we need more of you in, in this on this planet. So I'll just say that. Right. So thank you for coming on. Um, thank you for sharing your story. I know that it's not necessarily an easy one to share, but I think it's so important for people like you to come out and talk about like the, the adversities that they've been through in their life. And that's the whole point of why I do this podcast. That's so... We are just going to start from the, be- from the beginning
1: and talk okay. about your, like your childhood, where you're from. So I grew up in Brentwood, more in, in West LA. So not, not too far. Although I had never, you know, now you and I both live in Manhattan beach. I'd never been to Manhattan beach, nor did I come to Manhattan beach, but, um, grew up in Brentwood, a family of, it was my mom, dad, my older sister, just the four of us. and. I, I Looking back, I, I had a really lovely, amazing, blessed childhood. Um, my sister and I were two and a half years apart. We got accused of being identical twins almost my whole life. We looked so much like she had the hair. She had the hair too? <laughs> she had the hair. Wow. And, um, and again, we were both tall. We were, again, always... People are like, are you twins? And no, we're just sisters. So we were really, really close um, at the same school, had the same interests, had a lot of the same friends. Um, and I mean, again, looking back, I think, you know, we spent our growing up in LA, we didn't have a lot of like necessarily independence like we do down in Manhattan Beach. Um, we spent our summers in Catalina. And I definitely looking back, think I've had a very very blessed charmed childhood with. Yeah. And, and
0: your sister's name for my listeners, by the way, we're going to go into this story, but um, my listeners know that my angel and my best friend was named Julie and your sister was also named Julie. Um, So I, I, I also wanted to say that I wonder is, is Brentwood like a bubble, like, Manhattan Beach or this area is like very isolate. Like it seems like it would be kind of like a small town in mm-hmm. uh, in like in LA as well.
1: Correct? I definitely think it is. Yeah. In fact, even I was up there recently, and there were parts of it that hadn't changed. Like this little grocery store called Sam and Sandy Foods. It still looked exactly like that's kind of where our, like ton of locals go. And so I do think it's got a kind of bubble ish feeling like we have down here as well.
0: Yeah. I just, I had to ask that. Cause I think <laughs> I'm always amazed just living here that I'm like, you're actually from Los Angeles. Like there's so few people that are actually from Los Angeles. It's all transplants that have moved here. Um, but okay. So you ended up going off to your childhood was happy, super close to your sister. You ended up going to Santa, Santa Barbara. Is that where you went to college?
1: I did. Yes. Yeah. So, um, my sister went to UCLA and she really wanted me to go to UCLA with her. And I was, I remember getting rejected from UCLA and I was so ecstatic because I was like, I get to go to UC Santa Barbara. My parents didn't want me to go to UCSB because they thought it was a party school, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which I, I think right. it was.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny is I think it gets that reputation just because of the dreamy location. that it Yeah. Is. Yeah. Once my sister went to UCLA, my parents more realized it's really the age of the kids. Like every college is going to have its party scene. So, um, I was really happy when I didn't get in UCLA because I'm like, yes, I'm going to have to go to UCSB, oh, and it was definitely so totally my <laughs> like own time to. I followed in my sister's footsteps for, you know, throughout high school and everything. So it was kind of neat and was my time to step out and do something different um, and and not follow in her first footsteps. So. And, and, you, and so you
0: loved, you loved college. You then what was the, when, like, did you end up coming to Manhattan beach, like right after college or how did that happen?
1: So in my, in my senior year of college, um, and I, not to fast forward, but that's when my sister got sick and got her diagnosis. But okay. after college, um, I moved to Hermosa beach with one of my best friends and never left. I was like, this beach town is amazing. Where I can't believe I never came down here before. And, and then Chris is from Palos Verde, So it was easy to kind of settle in the beach cities and make this our home.
0: Well, I'm sorry that that diagnosis happened like at the very end, like while you were still in college, she was in her senior year. And what was the diagnosis? Just so my listeners know. Yes.
1: Well, it, Part of her story is that it took her took our family about seven, eight months to get a diagnosis. Okay, and that was part of the reason she's not here is because she was misdiagnosed for so long. Um so Julie was diagnosed with a meningioma, which a brain tumor, and it was in a really tricky part of her brain, uh, nestled in her brain stem. And for leading up to that, she was twenty four at the time. And had graduated from UCLA. It's okay, Jen. And I cry so, every podcast, I, honey. I'm telling it's you. It's so funny how it hits you sometimes. Yeah. But she, she. it was so sad because she was so misguided by our family physician who just almost had her believing she was crazy. And and granted, medicine has come so far in that time. Um you know, MRIs were new and novel. You really couldn't, it was hard to get one. Now anyone can walk into the emergency room and get an MRI. And so that's, that was part of the, the lack of diagnosis uh, for months. I mean, we had a family physician testing her blood work over and over again. Her symptoms would kind of ebb and flow. It would. What were her symptoms? She had nausea was her kind of primary symptom, nausea to the point of being sick, um, vomiting. And the headaches didn't really come on till later. She had like a lot of back and neck pain. And it would be like the flu in the sense that it, it would come. She'd be sick for three or four days and then it would go. And then she'd be fine. Then it would come back again. And the periods of time that it would come back were getting kind of fewer and far between. And my mom is definitely um an incredibly involved mom. If anything, she's like was a helicopter mom growing up, we couldn't get away with anything, and she was just worried sick and taking Julie to all sorts of doctors and if her since her neck hurt, she took her to an orthopedic surgeon, and everyone would kind of defer back to our internal medicine doctor, this Beverly Hills physician who just thought nothing was wrong with her, that my mom was being paranoid and she was a healthy 24-year-old who had never had any health symptoms before. And once he kind of cued into the vomiting that was happening a lot, we found out later through a malpractice lawsuit that he had in his notes that he suspected she was bulimic. And I just remember thinking, my gosh, I'm not a doctor, but I was in a sorority in college and there were a couple girls there who had challenges with eating disorder and bulimics. And the girls in our, there were two girls in our sorority. They never advertised that they vomited. It was done in private. It was like, no, so. I'm I was, like, I'm a recovering
0: bulimic. So no,
1: that's not something I'm like, that's not something you go to the doctor and say, I feel sick to my stomach. I'm vomiting. And yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So that was really, really frustrating. And then I remember he sent her to a therapist and I remember her saying to me, I, I go in there and I don't have anything to talk about. And I feel like I'm crazy. They're, they're making me feel like I'm crazy with her symptoms. So it was really hard. I remember calling home in college and my mom saying, oh, Julie's sick again. And that, that's how we refer to it were these episodes that she was sick. And finally, um, she started passing out. And that was really frightening. And she was in three emergency rooms the week she finally got diagnosed. And finally, uh, an ER doctor at Cedars-Sinai looked at my mom and said, your daughter is really sick. And my mom's like, we know. We've known for months. We've been trying to get her diagnosed. And he said, she's either has MS or something neurological like a brain tumor. And my mom's like, I don't even know what to pray for. And at that point, she had the MRI. And they found the tumor. And I was a senior in college in finals. And I got a collect call from my sister, calling from the ICU. And she was so happy and so relieved that they found something, that they there was a reason to why she was getting sick. And I remember she said, Don't tell mom and dad that I'm calling you, because I know you're in finals right now, but I just had to tell you I'm having surgery tomorrow. And I'm so relieved they found something. And so I said, well, don't tell mom and dad, but I'm getting in the car right now. And, you know, who cares about finals? And I drove from Santa Barbara straight to the hospital and sat with her in an ICU bed. And she went in for surgery the next morning. And what's hard about it is that the surgery initially was successful, but because of the misdiagnosis, her, she went into that surgery pretty weak. Um, and her brain had a lot of hydrocephalus and a lot of swelling and a lot of things had happened in those seven, eight months. So had she been properly diagnosed, I am confident she'd be here today. So she ended up, and, and her story is one that we could tell for hours in those four years, but from recovery and surgery, just everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And she was... In and out of the ICU, back and forth shunts, um, vocal collapse, vocal cords collapsing, nerve damage. Like she literally was, we lost her. Could have almost lost her many times during that hospital stay. And from the time she had surgery, she was in the hospital for four months. Which she was
0: in the hospital for okay. So there must have been for her like it was like a living hell because she had been told she was crazy and she knew there was something wrong. So the pain that she must've been going through internally, not only being sick, but also the fact that she was being told she was crazy. I can't imagine. And then this the, the, like knowing the relief, but then also getting, you know, in like being in the hospital for four months and getting sick like that and having to suffer. And it, and it's, it's so unbelievably, like when you love somebody so much, like I I lost my father in a nine month battle to leukemia and it's, I'll never forget it. It was so painful, you know, to see your family member, go through something like that. And your hands are tied and there's absolutely nothing you can do except be there, be there for them, love them. But it must've been so scary for you. Like, how did you, how did you deal with it? What did, how did you, how were you able to finish college?
1: Oh my gosh. I, that was, I I think at the time, you know, our whole goal was that she was going to get better. And I think we'd, you know, had we known how it would have all ended, I think that was just not even in the front of our mind. And so, even when she was in the hospital, it was like, I just remember thinking, oh, the goal is to get her out of the hospital. The goal is to get her better. The goal is to get her in as many therapies as possible, regain everything that has been stripped of her. Um, my senior year in college was the rest of it was brutal. Yeah. I I remember my parents because that was in the winter. She had surgery in December. And of course, I just I feel like I grew up really, really fast with this was like the biggest life lesson that had come across my plate. And my heart was in LA, but I had to go back to school and I just was really disconnected um, from the college scene, from I had my closest girlfriends who are still to this day, my closest girlfriends and sisters really be there for me and get me through it because I literally would come up, go to classes in the week. And then I was home every weekend and at the hospital and my graduation. I just remember it was, it sucked. <laughs> yeah. It just wasn't celebratory at all. My sister had just recently gotten out of the hospital and, you know, that was like to be a family event. And so my mom, just my mom came up. My dad stayed home with my sister. And it was it was just, I shouldn't even say it was bittersweet because none of it was sweet. It was, it just didn't feel good and it didn't feel right. And I was anxious to be done at Santa Barbara at that point. And I, and I loved, loved, loved my time at Santa Barbara. I always joked that they were the best four years of my life. Um, but it ended on a really sad note just because my, my heart and my whole hope for for Julie. And it was hard for her watching her little sister graduate and she wasn't there because she prided herself on being my big sis. She was there every step of the road in my life, I feel like. So she, I think at a point when I was graduating and then my parents were like, Jen, you got to, you know, get out there in the work world and get a job and so I moved home with her. We were both living at home. And after a few months, I got an apartment in Hermosa Beach. And I, that was really tough. And it was tough on her to see, like, her little sister was doing the things that she
0: couldn't be
1: doing. Yeah. Be doing. Um, so that was, But and then again, the whole goal. I just remember thinking every year at Christmas, like, next Christmas will be better. Julie will be better. Julie will be back living her life. And it was like five steps forward, three steps back.
0: How how long did, was she sick? How long did she suffer? For
1: four years. Oh, so it was the four years. Um, And she ended up, um, you know, we were, she was in every type of therapy. Everything was affected physically after the surgery, after she got home, except for her, her cognitive was a hundred percent Julie, her memory, everything was, was Julie, which was a blessing and a curse because it was so hard on her emotionally. But her balance, walking, talking, speech, vision, swallowing, hearing, everything had been affected by the surgery. So she was in every type of therapy you can imagine. Um, and that was her life. Like, that was my my parents driving her to different therapies. But the whole goal of, like, she's so young, she can rebound from this. Yeah. Um, And after just kind of feeling like we were on this cycle of five steps forward, three steps back for so many years, we, on a routine MRI, the tumor came back and that was devastating news. Um, And they had suggested surgery. And as a result of the surgery, they were talking about all of the things and areas that it's going to affect her. And she hadn't even gotten back to where she wanted to be in terms of being, living independent, driving, working, and she opted not to do surgery. And as a family, we just, we were all on the same page and supported her. And so we, we lost her five months later.
0: I'm, I'm so sorry. I know how hard it is to talk about this. And you, when you go through something like this, you never, ever, ever forget that deep, like the dark, dark pain. Right. Um, I, I just like, I'm at a loss for words because I remember similar things with my dad when the third round of chemotherapy didn't work for him. And we were told like, he's, there's nothing else you can do. And he chose not to do chemotherapy for the fourth time. And then you just have to accept it and it sounds to me like your whole family was like my family going well he's a fighter he's going to fight this and you're in you're like in this thing in your head where you're like no 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 this isn't an option it's not going to happen they're not going to die they're going to be okay so i i my heart goes out to you because i know what that's like in a different way and and the amount of suffering that your sister had to go through just really is is horrible to hear. And I, I'm glad that you sued that doctor, by the way, sorry, I had to say that because, um, it's not, it was her decision.
1: She wanted to, it's not Um, okay. It is not okay. Yeah, Um, she sat there, it was after, um, it was maybe eight months into, she'd been in the hospital for four months. And then when she got home, when the dust kind of settled as to how severe her diagnosis was, The recovery. I just remember how angry she was. She's like, like you kind of go backwards into how did we land here? And I just remember her being so angry with him, saying, Mom, he never, you know, ran more tests. He never, even though MRIs were hard to get, he never ordered one. He literally sent me to a therapist. He had me thinking I was crazy. He just took blood work over and over and over again. And and thought my mom was a paranoid, like she was really, really angry. And and especially those ages between 24 and 28, you know, she was watching her friends live the life she used to have. And a lot of them at that time were getting engaged and getting married and asking her to be a bridesmaid. And, you know, there was just so many things that she was missing out on. And so she, bless her heart, was so angry and upset with her situation. And, and it just felt like it didn't have to be like this. In the end,
0: was she at peace with what was happening or how did, how did that
1: go? I think, I feel like there were mo I think it was so hard to embrace that a 28 year old was on hospice that There were moments that it just felt so surreal, like, is this really happening or could like a miracle happen? And so I, at that time, I had had talks with her about if I had gotten married someday, I'd love to have, if I really lost her, I'd love to have a daughter named after her and if she would be okay with that. And she, again, she wanted nothing more than to be a mom herself. So it was really hard for her to accept that she wouldn't be here long enough to become a mother. And so she, she said to me, you know, if that's the case, like, I'd really, really like that. And so I always felt good having that conversation with her. And I had told Chris, I said, just so you know, if you marry me, I'm we have to have a daughter and her name's going to be Julianne. Just FYI, that's yeah. a non-negotiable <laughs> item. up." And so that, I think there were, I feel like during that time, during those five months, I do, I've become a big believer that there's more than just this earth here. And there were definitely like a lot of signs from my mom's mom or Julie would wake up from a nap and be like, wow, heaven is so beautiful. And we'd be like, what are you talking about? And then she wouldn't remember that she had had said that. So I feel like those signs were for her giving her the comfort and also for us that she was going to be okay. But I I look back at my parents now, now that I'm a parent, and I don't know how my parents got through losing a child especially at that point in life when she you know had graduated from college, like she was like on her way, which is like what all of us as parents want is to give our children wings and get them on the right path and I look back at my parents and think I don't even know they did it.
0: Did do you what happened after she passed? How did you grieve? How did you pick yourself up? How did you? I mean, I talk just so you know, on every podcast pretty much I ask people what their signs are, especially if they've gone through some sort of loss. So I love hearing because I also am very spiritual and I believe um like in my mission in life is to be with my angels, my dad, Julie, my best friend who died at 28 as well. Um, you know, my sister that passed away. I'm convinced that they're, that they're with me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just love hearing that. Cause I do believe when people are leaving this planet, you know, they see things, they see like, you know, um, my dad, I think was seeing visions of his mom. Um, so there's gotta be, right. I mean, that's like, it helps me get through like day to day knowing like, oh, they're with me. Sometimes I talk to my best friend, Julie, and I'll be in the car (laughs) and I'll just be like talking to her because I'll be like, what do I do? (laughs) Like, I have to get through this, like, help me and people probably think I'm crazy. They already think I'm crazy. So whatever, (laughs) I'll just pile it on. But I just love that you believe in signs and you know what? I'm pretty sure she's with you a lot. And I know she's, I mean, I know what an incredible person you are and I, I know how proud she would be of you today. And she's probably here right now in
1: some way. With For my sure. Julie
0: as well. Maybe they Yeah, met. I agree.
1: She's <laughs> really um, social chairman of heaven. She's in charge of like running orchestrating on the parties. Yeah. And the welcome committee and everything else. So I do there. I mean, if I had written them all down, the list of signs over the last we're going on 20 years of of losing her. I just know it's not coincidence. So I feel like when I have a friend or someone close who experiencing loss, I feel like one of my little tokens of trying to get them through it as don't dismiss anything as coincidence. Yeah.
0: What is, what is a sign that, you know, like, is there something like my sign is butterflies. Like I talk about this a lot every time I see a butterfly. Like I, I think I had your friend Tara Hackley on recently and I think it was her episode. And I was like, one day I was on the witch hip path and I was by myself talking (laughs) to a butterfly. Like, (laughs) So what, what is a
1: sign that, you know, she's with you? There's, it's funny. I feel like she's got control of my radio and I, there's, there's a couple songs. Um, they both happen to be by Leanne Rimes and one of them is I need you. And I would, I remember driving back from the hospital back to my apartment in Hermosa, um, and just crying, thinking like I need her, like like water, like breath, like air. I can't imagine losing her. And so, every now and then, it's funny. I will either be switching stations, and it'll come on right at the beginning. And it is like, it's either a moment that I'm thinking of her. I a few years ago went back, back in Brentwood, past our childhood house, and on our way there, that song came on. I'm like, she's in the car, she's right here, and I just know again. It feels so meaningful when something like that happens and the timing is so perfect that I just know, I, I always say, if you beat it up too much, like it's their way, it's their way of communicating with us because they can't pick up the phone and call us. So I feel like if it makes you think of that person that you lost, it's for sure them, it's for sure their way. So I feel like I could go on and on about the signs. And and another one is the fact that my little Julianne is the cookie cutter of my sister. It is, it it blows me away how much she's like my sister in so many ways. I love that. And, and,
0: you know, um, I think that when people are listening to this, that like, and they are going through some sort of loss, it is so important that we talk about our signs because Everybody at some point in their life is gonna go through some sort of trauma or loss. It's part of life, and so to be able to hold on to those things. And by the way, that's not a coincidence. That's a sign. Like, there's no way that Leanne Rhymes does not play that often. <laughs> by the way, on the radio, that it just pops on. You know, um, that's I love hearing that. So let's go to like what how you like went on how did
1: you go on you were living in hermosa you I Chris and I had been dating at the time okay. and so and I think that was a huge bonding for us is that you know he met me when my sister was sick and and then went through the loss with me as well and I got really got to see kind of the stand up man that he was and and just that was incredible in our relationship. Um he was a huge part of getting me through. Yeah. And and even though he never got to experience like the healthy well Julie, I feel like he he knows her and that I think that was one of my things is Julie was worried about being forgotten because of her age. She's like I I worry that everyone's just going to move on and forget about me. And I That stuck with me so hard. I became dedicated to like, you'll never be forgotten and your story will never be forgotten. So other women and other people won't go through the pain that you had to. And so that definitely became one of my missions of like, she'll never be forgotten and and letting her having... Not only having the namesake of one of my children named after her, but we celebrate her birthday is big, and it always has been. Her birthday's October sixteenth, and can't believe she'd be fifty this year, which is wild because she's forever young in our hearts and my memories. Um, so we celebrate her birthday every year. As you know, I do the tour de Pier and have Julie's Angels there. So I, I've just been dedicated to. We had a scholarship at her sorority for about 10 years after she passed away. That was the Julianne Sadler Memorial Scholarship. So my mom and I would go up to her sorority at UCLA and these girls wrote essays. uh, And that was again, just keeping her name and her story alive. I think that's been therapeutic for me and it makes me feel good that I'm honoring what she wanted.
0: Well, I love, by the way, I ride in the tour de pier on your team for Julie's Angels. And um, it's really cool that you do that. And you always have these cute hats made and (laughs) t-shirts and a lot of the local moms and your friends ride. And it's a, it's a really special day. I wanted to backpedal a little bit and ask about the diagnosis. What how do they know how the brain? What caused the brain tumor? Was she carrying the BRCA gene? What? 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 What do you know about that? Or was it just?
1: She it just... was just. Yeah, it could have been. They don't really know. Um, I mean, it it could have, in theory, been something she was born with. It could have been something that, because of the symptoms it was causing, we we kind of believe that it was something that happened in her late twenties, but as to why or how there are no known answers,
0: which is difficult. I'm sure because you're like, well, why did this happen? And you'll never really understand because brain tumors are rare, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not, um, so you ended up getting married, living, Mm -hmm. like moving to Manhattan Hermosa Um, I love, I love that you met your husband. And I want to say this, my husband met my Julie, my best friend. And he was, we were, he had just met her because we just started dating. Um, He went to her wedding. Um, She really liked him. Ron, Ron and Julie hit it off. But I believe like he helped me if I wouldn't have had him when I lost her, I don't know like how I would have picked myself up. So I think like, how lucky are we that we have the spouses that we do Mm -hmm. that have that were brought into our lives for, I believe reasons, you know, and, and he, and you're so lucky that he did know Julie and you've been able to Mm -hmm. be together all these years. And she's watched you from heaven, like have your kids and have your family. And I just, you know, I believe in that stuff. I think it
1: happens for a reason. He was Um, there when we found out we, when I lost her, I mean, and he was there that night and he was there when the coroner, like he was there through so many of these really deep, intimate details of a family. So yes, he really got some points there.
0: Yeah. He has some points in heaven with JC too. I think Ron <laughs> does. My husband does too. Cause he's helped me through a lot of things. Um, but to, to go ahead. So move ahead. So you got married, you, you settled in Manhattan beach. Mm-hmm. Um, I You at this point, like, what was your grieving process like? I mean, we're all still grieving. We're, we all still miss our, like our loved ones. Even you said 20 years. I, I, Sometimes I think about my dad or Julie and I'm just like, I can't believe it's been that long. You know, you'll never really, your heart will always have a piece of it that's missing,
1: you know? For sure. Always. And that, so my, our wedding was just shy of two years of losing her. So it was, I had her, I really, again, wanted to honor her at my wedding and so no one else was going to be in the maid of honor position except for her. So I have again a lot of really close amazing girlfriends that I met in college who were all bridesmaids and I had one of them there was a special maid of honor bouquet that she carried down the aisle and then gave it to my parents and I had a write up in the program and it, again my my goal was to honor her. I just knew she was there and that was her role that she would have absolutely Loved and cherished, and been so proud to be. Um, And that was, I think, a way for our family to, by welcoming Chris into our family, it was like a way of kind of having some joy and trying to kind of a new chapter to be excited about. Um, You know, my parents were, it was such a bittersweet time, but they were so happy for me. And happy that I was moving on to this exciting point in life. And thank God they loved who I was marrying um, since I was their only earthly child now. Yeah. And so you, you, you got married,
0: but as we both know who we've both been through quite a bit in our lives, um, that it's not always, things are not always easy. You think you you think like, Sometimes I wonder, and I wonder if you think the same way. Like you see people and you're like, you haven't gone through anything. Like, how is this fair? It's not fair. And I get really angry sometimes because I'm like, you know, oh, the distribution
1: of things. Yeah, like that. why, why <laughs> is
0: this hap- like I had my thing, so I'm good. But then there's like I believe that life is a series of tests. I talk about it all the time on the podcast. And like, I don't want any more tests. I'm good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So what, so then you ended up getting married. You're like, I have this perfect husband. We have this perfect life together. I can't wait. I'm going to get pregnant. I'm going to start my family. So what, what ended
1: up happening? So yeah, that was the plan. We were anxious to start a family and I was, you know, all set out to have a daughter first. Mm -hmm. That was going to be Julianne. That was like, I on the prize. We're gonna have a girl. Her name's gonna be Julianne. And we struggled to get pregnant, which was really aggravating and disappointing. And like you just mentioned, I was like, okay, I've already had my thing. Yeah. Like this should be coming along smooth. And looking back, I mean, I know I have friends who have had a lot more massive fertility struggles than we did. Um, but we did need a little bit of fertility help. And we were elated when I found out I was pregnant. And um and again hoping for that girl but just hoping that you know that everything's fine and healthy and I did feel like I had a guardian angel on my side um so about halfway through the pregnancy we found out it was a boy and I'm like oh, okay um was it really in the cards Okay, I we'll embrace maybe it's Julian yeah <laughs> uh, what do I do with a boy I have I'm come from Girls, I have a sister. I, I just remember thinking, okay, like I know beggars can't be choose. Like we'll kind of, we'll go with this next one will be a girl. And I just remember thinking like, wow, I wasn't expecting that, but again, embracing it, of course, um, just embracing it and happy to be pregnant and happy to be having a baby. Um, and then, uh, shortly after that, we got some kind of scary test results, um, they had thought that our baby could have trisomy 18, mm-hmm. which is really, really very devastating. It, I learned that it doesn't even have a name because babies don't live very long. So that was terrifying. Um, and the only way to know for sure is with a amnio. And I we had worked hard on that pregnancy. And I... Knowing that there was a risk of miscarriage with the amnio, I said to Chris, I, I'm not having one. And he's like, why? <laughs> we need to know. And I said, I'm, if I lose this baby that we've worked so hard on, I will never forgive myself. And this baby's moving around and I feel him kicking and I'm, nothing's going to change that. I'm not ever making any decisions otherwise, and I'll never forget this, you know, experience. So I just, we have to have faith. We have to have hope. We have angels on our side that everything's going to be okay. And so instead of having the amnio, we went to uh, three different specialists and had these like high-tech ultrasounds um, to just more look into the symptoms and signs of trisomy 18 and And that's what we were kind of focused on is, is preparation. Um, if the baby wasn't going to live very long because I, I knew I was moving forward regardless. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I definitely had the, I again knew that there was no other choice for me. I couldn't act like this hadn't happened. I had to move forward. We weren't going to move backwards and, So we did go to these three different specialists and we actually got some very calming news that one had kind of thrown out like other trisomies, which is, you know, any sort of chromosomal issues, whether they're deletion of chromosomes or addition of chromosomes or mutations and said, you know, some of the markers are definitely chromosomally related, um, one kind of threw out Down syndrome. Down syndrome is the most common chromosomal abnormality, um, that extra chromosome. But really, the focus was this trisomy 18. Um, and so we got really good results from the three scans that said his heart looked good, his digestive, his GI looked good, his brain looked good. And I felt good. I said, okay this was, feels relieving. And all three did not feel that he had trisomy 18. And so I said, we're going to, we're going to move forward and we're going to pray and we're going to have faith that everything's okay. And so we move forward. I was definitely nervous being my first pregnancy. And, um, I went into not, hugely premature labor, but at 37 weeks, um, I went into labor and it was a very fast labor, uh, much to our surprise. My parents didn't even have time to get to the hospital. Um, we checked in the hospital at 10 and I gave birth at 2 PM.
0: (laughs) So that's one way that Julie was with
1: you. She helped you have a fast labor. Yes, Yeah. (laughs) And so CJ was born, he was born, um, very small he was considered low birth weight um for i had gained 55 pounds i'm like and i just gave birth to someone who's 4 pounds 2 ounces i'm like how does math add up here me too i gained 60 <laughs> with both <laughs> <laughs> and they whisked him off to the nicu and you know, we were excited. We were relieved. We were happy. He was breathing. He was darling. He was cute. He was little, but he was cute. And it was on his third day of life that I was being checked out of the hospital. And CJ, we knew he'd had to stay in the NICU because of his low birth weight. And he, he was having trouble feeding. And the neonatologist came into the room and said, I need to talk to you guys. And he said, I, and his, his bedside manner wasn't the best. And I look back now and think I don't envy his job Mm -hmm. having to share some devastating news with brand new parents. But he said, we have reason to believe that your son could have down syndrome. And I just remember being stunned and shocked and thinking, wait, what? Where? And defensive. I mean, why do you think that? Why, why do you think he could have Down syndrome? And he, he went on with the markers. He had um, simian hand creases, you know, some of the physical attributes they, they went towards. And he said, we've already taken blood work and we've already sent to the lab and we should know um, in about three days." And that was that was definitely I just wanted to hide into a hole. And I was fearful of this little baby thinking I felt so guilty too of like what the fear, again, fear of the total unknown. I think you know, you have a baby and you want a smooth path for them. And so kind of knowing up front that your baby's gonna have struggles is is really hard. And then we went back to thinking, okay, well, they thought he had trisomy 18. Um, you know, now this kind of made a lot more sense. And looking back, you know, again, I, I 150% would not have done anything different. I think that, again, those that angels by our side. Had I known for sure that he had Down syndrome when I was pregnant, it would have been a really, Worrisome pregnancy, and I had some worrisome laced in there with the thought that came across our mind. We already got to kind of dance with the idea that our our baby could have special needs, but I think at the same time I was able to experience the joy and then the naiveness of a new mom too, and and so incredibly grateful that CJ was healthy. He. 50% of kids with Down syndrome have heart issues yeah. and have heart surgery within the first year. And CJ was healthy. And I remember my dad saying to me, and this is like one of the most moments in my life I'll never forget he's just a baby boy. He's just a little baby boy that needs love. And I just remember thinking, I pulled up my bootstraps. I had a, a massive pity party, you know, of, after that doctor came into our room and then I immediately pulled up my bootstraps and went into like our planning mode. Okay. What are we going to do? And I'm going to find a community of other parents who are in the same position as us. And we're going to give him every type of therapy. We're going to do everything for him. so CJ can be the best he can be. And I became 150% committed to that, that we were, we were going to be okay. He was okay. He's healthy. We loved him, and we're going to do everything he can, and he's going to be the best that he can be. And that, there was, like that, made me feel good, and it's, and I felt it's like, also.
0: It's also like I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know the fact that. I know the trisomy is it trisomy? Is that how you pronounce it? Trisomy 18 to backpedal a little bit, the, the statistics of uh, of those babies actually not being stillborn is very, very high. So the getting that diagnosis is devastating, you know um, for downs. I have a very, my friend, you know, I call her Irish Sophie. She's one of my closest friends. Um, we've talked a lot about that too. And how it's like, you're like, wait a second, this isn't what I was supposed to have. Like that's, I can't be like, you're like so happy when your baby's born, but yet there's also this feeling of like, but what do I do now? Like, and then the fact, and then you picked yourself up, reached out. I know you're you're somebody that's like a doer. So then, did you <laughs> find other mothers that did. you know were within the community of and and I and now you have is CJ in high school? He's ninth. Oh grade. my
1: gosh, he's a freshman in high school. Yes. Well, and that's and like to back up, I think all of a sudden in that hospital room, Chris, CJ, and I became a team. Like yeah. we were more than a family. It was like we're team CJ. Like we were all. On the same page with like, again, just going to give him every opportunity. And now I also think looking back, had CJ been our second or third child, I think you would have, I would have already known that kind of built in, I don't want to say love because it's so much deeper than that, but like I would sever a limb for that little baby. I feel like once you're a parent, you, I always say to new parents, like it's a whole new type of love. Like, you know, you're going to love your child. You know, you love your parents, you love other people, but when you have a child, it's like this whole new chapter of love that you really would chop an arm or leg off for. And it's such an unconditional type of love. So I feel, I think Sophie and I both connected to with them being our firstborns. Mm -hmm. We didn't quite, that concept was a new one for us. Um, so I always think having him as my second or third, I think the digestion process would have been a little smoother. Him being our first introduction into parenthood and then having this little extra package, we were like blindsided, like, whoa, this is this is a lot. Um, so we did. We connected. I had heard about actually one of the first moms I met was a Manhattan Beach we had heard about a Manhattan beach family who had a five-year-old with Down syndrome. I said, Oh my gosh. Okay. I I need to, I had coffee with her while CG was still in the NICU. We met um, a Newport beach family who had an 18 month old. And I just all of a sudden felt like I was part of a tribe. Like you had a a network of people all of a sudden to reach out to. Yeah. Yeah. And that felt so and and also seeing in this day and age, these kids have so much opportunities. There's so much good stuff out there for our kids. It's different than 30 years ago, where they weren't given a chance. They were you were being told to institutionalize. I mean, horrible, horrible things. So I felt immediately inspired and grateful. Like there's so much good stuff out here. CJ's gonna be amazing. And He's going to be included and he's going to be part of our community. He's going to be part of our school. And that just inspired me. And what, and what do you think? Like, I mean,
0: I know you went on to have your, your daughters, um, your twins, but what do you think about, I, I know it's hard to talk about, but do you were, I mean, I have a very close friend, Mitzi Henry also who did the podcast, whose son has fragile X and she, like you is determined to find a path and a future for her son, Jack, you know, there are so many opportunities now, even to go to university, um, Mm -hmm. for kids with fragile X downs. Um, like you said, 30 years ago, you just put them in an, in an institution. So do you, um, you, uh, did you, is he in high school right now?
1: Is he, well, being that we were out of the public school district for yeah. as you know, he was yeah. um, we're so happy and thrilled that he was fully included at our local private Catholic school for the last 10 years. And those mm-hmm. were 10 incredibly formulative years of his life. We always felt so grateful that CJ was at American Martyrs because other schools, they're they're just not there yet. They're not on board yet. Um, but we felt so grateful that martyrs wanted him with open arms and I just remember thinking throughout those last 10 years, so many parents would say to us, thank you for having CJ at our, or like the, for our kids, having CJ in the classroom, the life lesson, but it's so, it's interesting, the, the dual aspect to it, because we always felt so grateful to have him there, but so many of the family, faculty, everything were like, no, he was all of our blessing. Like it had to have him there. Thank you for sharing him with us, which is like. It probably yeah, I, I,
0: taught that like I know every grade's different, um, and it probably taught those kids so much about being kind and inclusive and all the things as people we should be doing that many people don't do, unfortunately. Um, I I do I love I used to love to see CJ and waved him and I loved his aid. she she was, and I loved her parents. I always would sit behind them at church. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, I love that you were determined to get him through the school and it is so special that he was able to like graduate and just go through school like everyone else. So he's now going to be going into high school and you are just figuring things out right now. Yeah.
1: It's definitely a different path come high school um, we are waiting for our IEP um with the school district so we're he'll be starting at maricosta hopefully next month but we're waiting for our IEP and it's a little it's a little shift of gears because we've been at a private school where we were able to navigate kind of his dream team and how much therapy he could get and granted financially we were paying for everything um now the shift is you know the school district so they kind of have essential more control and get to call the shots, which will be a, an adjustment for me as a proactive mom. Yeah. Um, but I'm confident that we will advocate and navigate for him. And I think Costa is a good fit for him, especially on the peer. My, I think, you know, for him to have a peer group, um, Sophie and I have talked about, we're so excited for Bella and CJ. To I, be know.
0: <laughs> I love
1: Bella. They're they're going to be
0: great. I can't wait to see what happens. <laughs> I hate to like, skip ahead and just continue to like, make you talk about painful things. But like I said, I mean, I could probably do like, you're one of the people I could do like a three hour podcast with. (laughs) Um, but I like, I want my listeners to really know what you've really gone through in your life and it hasn't been easy. And, you know, I love seeing that CJ is thriving and you went on to have two amazing little girls that are now, what are they in eighth grade? seven They're an eighth grade They're an eight.
1: They're in eighth grade. So you won't be at martyrs anymore. No, your last <laughs> but I do as cheesy as this sounds, Megan, I, I have no doubt in my mind that my sister had a very special part in choosing my three children for me, including CJ, because at first I remember praying to her, like, what the heck? Like, are you kidding? You're supposed to be my special guardian angel and our firstborn child that comes out as Down syndrome. And now I'm like, it's so crystal clear to me. In heaven, it's not about, you know, we live in this world of perfection and perfect chromosomes and this and that. And I'm like, she loved his spirit. And we always joke that his extra chromosome is a lot of extra. Like he is extra sweet. He's extra special. I, I have no doubt she loved him. She loved his spirit and felt he was perfect for us, which he is. He's taught us so much more than we've taught him. And then I feel like then having identical twin girls, I'm like, once again, I'm like, there she goes with. It wasn't about having a daughter named Julianne. I feel like what she gave me was sisterhood. And having those girls she
0: gave it back to you.
1: I believe that. She walked that too. makes me want to cry. I'm sorry. Because I think having no, it's so I literally when we found out we were having identical twins, I thought, okay, here like and then we found out they were girls. And I'm like, I, I it's just clear to me. It's about sisterhood. Having one daughter named Julianne, I feel like I don't want to say it wouldn't have been satisfying, but I feel like it would have I think the therapeutic part of losing my sister is having these the sisterhood, and they are so much Julie and Jen. It is wild. Julianne is totally like my sister. She's the diligent student. Grace is a little more lax. She's a little more like me. She's a little spicy. And I just laugh all the time. And I again, they know their Aunt Julie. And I feel like I said she had no doubt she picked all three of you out for us.
0: And I also believe that we, I mean, this is something I believe we as people as, as souls, cause that's what we are. We believe we, when we're, before we come down, we choose our lives and I'm sometimes like, well, why would somebody choose that life? Or why would you and I have chosen this? But at the end of your life, cause I believe you're a truly kind and good person and you live your life to help other people. If we just like, Strolled through life, never had any issues. It's almost like, in my opinion, I mean, I'm jealous of those people a lot of times, but it also (laughs) makes you appreciate like the fact that you have the family that you have and you do the things that you do and you have the means to do the things that you do, like, you know, where we live and the beautiful place and the community and all the things that we have. Well, because you're supposed to be here. You're supposed to have those souls. And like you said, I think your sister did have something to do with it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, skipping ahead a little bit. So the then like one of the other tests that you had to go through in life was to decide to have a double mastectomy. And I'm not trying to jump ahead, but I want my listeners mm-hmm. to hear this because it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month please get your part, your lady parts checked. Um, super important. What like, tell the story briefly about how that happened. And I hate, I'm sorry. I'm just like skipping. No, no,
1: I I know, but I wanted to
0: get this part in and I'm so inspired by your choices and why you chose to do that. Did you carry the Braca gene? Like, how did that happen? No, so my
1: mom had breast cancer at a very young age. I was in eighth grade. Um, my mom was had breast cancer. Thank God she was diagnosed early, but this is before there were you know pink ribbons and the Susan J. Like it wasn't as talked about. So thankfully she was diagnosed early. Um, she had a lumpectomy at that time, and then when I was a sophomore in high school, she had a reoccurrence. And she had at that time a mastectomy. And that was, I wrote my college essay on my mom and her journey. um, She saw like eight different doctors of finding the right path for her in this kind of new breast cancer world. Again, it wasn't like it is now. Um, So I, my mom is definitely just take action. I think that's part of the therapeutic healing is like, okay, this happened. Always have a plan B. What are we going to do as the action plan? So I, knowing that was in my genes, her mom had breast cancer, but later in life. So it is different when you premenopausal, postmenopausal. Mm-hmm. So my grandmother was postmenopausal, which isn't as aggressive. But my mom was forty-two. I mean, that's it. Could have it could have been bad had she not been, been diagnosed. So to fast forward, um, I being our family history, I was getting a mammogram or an MRI every six months, and that was kind of tedious. And it weighed on my mind before having a scan. And I sort of felt like I was a ticking time bomb, that this was going to happen to me. At what point in my life is this going to happen? And so I had a I had a finding on a mammogram and I had to have a biopsy on it. Going through that process, I I was ecstatic and relieved when we got good news that it wasn't uh, breast cancer. But going through the process of a biopsy, I was like, I think I'm done here. Mm-hmm. I I felt like this was my warning, and I said to my doctor, "Would I be crazy to think of prophylactically taking this in my own hands?" Because going through the process of finding out about the news, waiting for the biopsy. I just, my family has been through so much. And obviously with losing Julie, I just thought I can't even have my parents have me go through breast cancer. Yeah. And I just really became, I said, I know that sounds aggressive. And she looked at me and she said, no, with your family history, it's actually not outlandish. So if you want to go down this road, let's investigate it. So I kind of was down the road expecting someone to be like, stop, that's like way too aggressive. You shouldn't do that. But again, because of my family history, I just kept going down the road and I thought actually our insurance company would kick it back and they didn't. And so sure enough, I, my husband was very supportive. He has a a lot of breast cancer in his family. So I had everyone behind me, like my doctor, my parents, my husband, you should do this. And I, in my heart felt like I should do this too. And at this time, I feel like they've come so far with mastectomies and like, it's not as an invasive marring process that it used to be. And I said to the surgeon, I need, it has to be easy in the sense that he he wanted to kind of split it into multiple surgeries. And I said, I've got three young kids I have to do it in one shot, like do it, recover, be done. He's like, well, you're not going to get the best cosmetic result. I said, look, anything's going to be better. I've had three children. So <laughs> if things are looking great in this department. Anyhow, I'm sure anything's going to be better than what I have, but I said, I have to do it in one surgery. So we did the, he brought in a reconstructive surgeon. They did the double mastectomy. They did the reconstructive surgery right there. I, recovered for about six to eight weeks and I got back on with my life and eight years, that was eight years ago. I am so grateful that I took that off my plate. I am so, again, it was a bold, aggressive move, but I am so happy that I did it. You know what? I would have done the exact same thing. I think
0: that if you have gone through like seeing a family member that you like is your best friend like your sister was suffer and go through the things that she went through and and not to mention being a mother to three kids I think I would have chosen the exact same path because living um living knowing that you're like constantly going well when is it going to happen when it what what's going to happen in my next mammogram I, I I would I think there's many women that would have made the same decision. And I honor you for that. And I think you did the right thing. And again, it's a personal decision. Um,
1: It is.
0: You know, I'm 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 about to have to go through um, like just going backwards a little bit with the testing. It's so important for women that are listening to get these tests, get checked, please do it. I have friends sometimes that will tell me, oh, like I haven't had a mammogram in like, I mean, I'm past you because of COVID and everything, but Mm -hmm. I haven't had a mammogram ever and they're in their forties. I haven't, you have to do these things. You have to go to the gynecologist. You have to
1: get checked. Um, And I will say if you have dense breast tissue, which so many women do, you can't stop at the mammogram. You've got to have an ultrasound as well because so many women I feel like I do think more doctors are onto that now, but with dense breast tissue, you've got to take that extra step because it could be hiding in there and you don't see it. And that's a, a mom at our school with that exact scenario. That's so. interesting.
0: I never knew that. I'm glad mm-hmm. you're telling me that. Well, I think too, um, you know, the like t- I don't want to, I wish I could talk to you for five hours, but I, I really want to say, um, you know, all of these things that you went through, Like there's a reason why I see you and you're, and there's certain people that like light up rooms and you're one of those people. Like you just are a very, very incredible person and soul. And when I see you, you just are somebody that makes me smile. And I'm, I, I have to tell you, I'm sorry for all of the things that you've gone through in your life, but I think that all of the things that you've gone through in your life like there's a reason for it. And I'm pretty convinced that your sister is up there right now. So freaking proud of you waiting <laughs> for the day that you are reunited and together again. And, um, In closing, I just really quickly need to mention, you are a rock star realtor. (laughs) And so not only are you like a mom, you do all the things that you do, but you're also like one of the top agents in Manhattan Beach, where we live in our area, Hermosa, um, and I'm just always amazed by you and I'm so mm-hmm. honored that you came on my podcast and you've shared your story. I know I'm going to hear back from listeners how much your story has helped them. Thank so you, thank you. Thank you so much, Jen. Um, thank you for having it, me. This is so special. It is special. And I'm pretty sure our two Julie's are, are yep. just, just oh, met. Totally. they met each other. Um, <laughs> yep. But in closing, um, I just want to say, I started this, I always used to say, keep living, keep praying and keep growing. So I said that for the first year of my podcast. And now in closing, I started to say something that my dad used to say. He used to say, be happy by making other people happy. And oh. I think that you're doing that, Jen. You're So you make other people happy. So continue to do the work, continue to like fight the fight, continue to ride the tour to pier and do all of the things that you do that make you so incredible so thank thank you you, everyone thank you for listening and thank you always for for supporting my podcast i love you i love all my listeners thank you thank you everybody. Have you heard of Instacart? If you have not heard of Instacart, I don't know where you have been living because it saved my life. I don't have to go to the grocery store. I can get my stuff delivered to my house. And if you go to judgingmegan.com forward slash Instacart, you will get $35 off of your first order if you've never ordered before. So I would say, get on there right now and skip your trip to the grocery store.